Okay, okay, okay. Let me make sure I got this straight. All right? Are you telling me that Jesus has risen? Is that what we're here together to celebrate this morning? That Jesus is like alive even right now. Not just that he lived a long time ago and we can read about him, but that he's alive right now. Are you here to tell me that God decided to walk among us humans at a real time and in a real place? And that when he did that, he didn't come to conquer. He didn't come to kind of kick butt and take names, right? He actually allowed himself to be executed. Is that what you're telling me today? Thank you. I'm glad someone's here to tell me that today. Are you here to tell me that this Jesus, God in the flesh, after he breathed his last and was laid in a cold, dark tomb on a Friday, and that this death had a purpose, and that at a time of his own choosing, he shed death like an old set of clothes and actually walked out at a, just a couple days later on a Sunday? Is that what you're here to tell me today? Well, it's definitely what I'm here to tell you and to tell us all, including myself this morning, to remind us of this great and glorious truth. Now, maybe as I say all that, it, you're like me. It kind of blows your mind a bit. Like, whoa, is that for sure, really? Could, did that happen? Or, or maybe when you hear that right now, you're giving the whole thing a little bit of the side eye. Like, I'm not so sure. Or maybe it's just been a long time, too long, since you've heard the good, old, and true story. And it feels wonderful. It's been passed on to us over these last 2,000 years, right up to you and me today. Paul said, wrote, wrote about it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Someone say, first importance. What we're here gathered to celebrate this morning is of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for today and all that it represents to us. God, we give this, these next few minutes to You. And Holy Spirit, we ask that You would be our teacher this morning, and that each of us would walk away from this place in this moment with exactly what we need to hear, each of us individually, because You know. And that You will plant this worthy, wonderful truth in our hearts this morning. You're alive, and you're with us, and that you very much want to be. Lord, use this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, folks, I'm here to really just tell you one thing in three ways, and it is of first importance, that there is a difference that Jesus brings to our lives and to this world, thanks to the rugged cross in the empty tomb. And the, those three things, those, those differences that Jesus makes, I would summarize this way. Amazing grace, actual power, and abundant life. Now, this is not a game show, despite the jacket I have on today. These are not doors one, two, and three. No new cars, no vacation packages, but a whole lot more, and all available to you and me right now, this very moment. Now, you might read that and think, does that really deserve my attention? Is that really what I need? And I guess all I can say this morning is it should get our attention, and it really is, whether we fully realize it or not, exactly what all of us, each and every one of us, needs. 
amazing grace, actual power, and abundant life. There are things in your real and daily life that are made possible and available to you because Jesus stepped into the world and reversed the same old, same old of condemnation and sin and fear and death. And we celebrate it today as the most important thing that's ever happened to us and in history. Amen? So let's begin this morning by unpacking the first of these three that I've put up here, Amazing Grace. Now, it's more, we've been singing about it for generations, but it is more than an inspiring song lyric. It is a revolutionary reality. We shouldn't underestimate that this grace that Jesus has unleashed for us, this forgiveness, is a world-changing force. And it doesn't always feel that way when we look around, but where would we be without it? Let me tell you a couple of stories. In November 2021, the Justice Department announced a settlement with families of those fatally shot in the 2015 um, mass murder at Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston. You might remember this. You, you, uh, the nine African-American prisoners who were gunned down by an avowed white supremacist during a Bible study. Now, as heartbreaking as those murders were, what transpired in the Charleston County courtroom two years later was breathtaking. During sentencing, survivors and relatives of the victims could speak directly to Dylan Roof, the man who calmly pulled out his weapon after sitting with them with their open Bibles and pulled the trigger again and again and again. Killing family members and friends, including a state senator and the church's senior minister, then laughing and bragging about it later. With all of that, what happened in that courtroom? One by one, they forgave Dylan Roof. Anthony Thompson, whose wife Mira was shot and killed at point-blank range, looked his wife's murderer in the eyes and said these words, I forgive you, and my family forgives you. But we would like to take this opportunity to ask you to repent, to confess and give your life to the one who matters most, Christ, so he can change you. He can change your ways no matter what happens to you, and you, you will be okay. Those were the words he chose to say to his wife's murderer. He is concerned for the man's soul. Now, I got to admit, I hope to see you in heaven is not probably what I would come up with. And it may not be what any of us would necessarily expect in that moment, in that courtroom. Maybe more like I hope you rot, if we're being honest. But Mr. Thompson knows what is of first importance. And this is the difference that Jesus brings. It's grace, and it's amazing. American gymnast Rachel Den Hollander was the first woman to publicly accuse USA Gymnastics team doctor Larry Nasser of sexual assault. In 2016, she alleged that he repeatedly engaged in horrific and humiliating behavior while she was his patient. Her actions paved the way for over 265 women to come forward with their own accounts of abuse, including three Olympic gold medalists, and Nasser was found guilty. While Den Hollander was the first to accuse Nasser, she was the last of over 150 victims to confront him in the courtroom during the sentencing phase of his trial. And when her turn finally came, this is what she said. The gospel of Christ is so sweet as it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. 
By His grace, I too choose to love this way. I pray you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. Now, everyone in the courtroom sat in stunned silence. No one would have blamed Ms. Den Hollander had she stood up and unloaded years of pent-up pain and animus. But this is the difference Jesus brings. By His grace, this amazing grace, I too choose to love this way. Now friends, where did Anthony Thompson and Rachel Den Hollander get this idea? Who showed them this? Who taught us this idea? Let's remember from the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, do what? Forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Now let's realize for a second, Jesus didn't pray that after the fact with some time to process, although there's nothing wrong with that. Not our Lord. He prayed that from the cross as he was bleeding out and torturously executed on that cross. That's when he's praying, Father, forgive. This is the Lord we serve. This is who he is. This is what comes out of him. It's what is of first importance to him, that he's extending grace and forgiveness. And that grace comes all the way to you and me today. And so it's from that moment there that we get these instructions too. Forgive one another, Paul wrote to the Colossians. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's amazing grace. That's grace unlike anything we humans would have ever come up with on our own. A grace modeled to us through the cross and then sealed and and empowered for us by the empty tomb. Every Good Friday, our preschoolers have a program and parents and grandparents show up and we pack out the children's center and everyone's taking the, you know, taking movies uh, of, of, of their cute kids. And it's always just this great moment. I look forward to it every year. And, and most years then at the end, uh, I get the chance to say a few words to everyone gathered there and, and we talk about Jesus and, and then I close in prayer. But the last song that they sing almost every year is this beautiful song. And one of the, the, the verses goes like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Amazing love, now flowing down. From hands and feet that were nailed to the tree, as grace flows down and covers me. Now that might just sound like a really nice song lyric, but when you see a few dozen preschoolers singing about hands and feet nailed to a tree, when you watch their little hands and faces bowed in prayer, and then talk about grace covering them. You remember what Jesus says, that unless you have faith like a child, you'll never really enjoy or experience the kingdom of God. When I hear those words, grace flows down and covers me, I think every year I think that's what we need. That's what I need. Maybe you feel it too. I need grace to cover me. I need grace to flow in all the in-betweens of me and others and my own thoughts and decisions. I need grace to get in there and just cover it all. Amazing grace is what Jesus makes possible. I need it. I need it so that I can extend it. I need to forgive as I've been forgiven. And that takes actual power. 
This grace we're talking about and this forgiveness that we see in those courtroom stories, for instance, demands from me something I cannot generate on my own. But Jesus gives us the power to live this life. And that takes us to this second point. Back to 1 Corinthians 15 for a minute. Zach quoted this passage as he welcomed us this morning. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Now, we're here gathered this morning precisely because Christ has been raised. Amen? In fact, the whole thing hinges on this, and that's what we're reading here. And we're not still stuck in our sin, or at least we don't have to be. All our old ways and all our old patterns of thinking and doing, we need not stay stuck in them anymore. All those dysfunctional ways that we get, try to get along with each other and so often fall short, or all the ways we see ourselves that don't really serve us or anyone else very well. Uselessness and futility are no longer markers of our attempts at life and meaning, thanks to Jesus. That's really what a local church is all about. We're simply a group of people who are now seeing that real life and real meaning come through Jesus and what he's done for us. It happens in every Monday night around here in Celebrate Recovery, where we gather together to um, submit to God our hurts, our habits, and our hang-ups. It happens in our worship services each Sunday morning as we gather to hear God's Word, to uh, express ourselves in worship, to take the bread and the cup. It happens in our small groups as we circle up and open our Bibles and open our hearts and open our lives to each other. It happens on our ministry teams as we shoulder to shoulder serve uh, others and work to make a difference in the world and in people's lives and care about others. All of this. Because we're simply people who decided to not stay stuck. That we've realized that there's a power available to us to live that life. We believe we have, by God's grace, really tapped into an actual power. Not just some metaphorical, theoretical kind of thing that preachers like to talk about. Power, what's that really mean? Talking about the power to overcome the things that hold us back. I'm talking about this thing that that is real and and tangible and and it makes a difference in my life and we feel it among each other. It courses through us and it courses between us. It makes a difference in how we see ourselves and how we treat each other and how we overcome the things that want to nail us back our feet to the floor. All of this, thanks to the event we celebrate today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of the universe, the Lord of our lives. This idea that we've been given new power is found throughout the New Testament. Here's just one example. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is praying for his readers that they would begin to just comprehend what he calls his incomparably great power for us who believe. And then he begins to describe that power, and the words he chooses are perfectly pertinent to what we're celebrating today. He says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. This idea that what God started in Jesus, he continues in us, and the same power that gave Jesus the ability to 
conquer death and to reverse the curse that had hung over humanity since Adam and Eve had disobeyed God, that 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 was now made possible for us, made available to us, and now just unleashed for all of us to begin to experience that same power can now reside in me and in you. That's hope and that's power. Power over my habits over my patterns of behavior, power to wisdom, and the wisdom to navigate life, power over my worst self. Anyone have a worst self? You do. Okay, just just letting you know, you do. Power over our worst selves, our addictions and our sins. Power that counts. Power that matters. Listen, here's the breakdown. One, Jesus lived the life we couldn't, died the death we shouldn't, so that we wouldn't. Took power to do that. Two, but death didn't stop him, couldn't hold him. He rose from the dead and is alive. It took power to do that. And as we repent and place our faith in him and commit to following him, we become more like him by that, as we just read, same power. Now, can I tell you exactly how that works? Well, sure, in a way I could attempt that. There are certainly excellent, well-thought theological explanations for salvation and how it works and how God brings it about. And that's, that's a perfectly good thing to look at. But man, sometimes it's like trying to diagram what it means to fall in love and what that feels like. Or to chart out exactly how food nourishes us. There might be good reasons to study and dissect such things, but don't let it replace what you feel when you look into your lover's eyes or enjoy the wonder that is pizza, okay? Just don't let that happen. There is a lot of beauty and mystery that can't be measured and fully described, and that is certainly true of the power of Christ that works in us and the abundant life that it brings about. Jesus said at one point in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. He says, I've come that they, that includes us, may have life and have it abundantly. Now some of us, maybe even most of us, we know exactly what he's talking about here at the beginning of this. We've had things taken from us. Watched dreams die, seen relationships destroyed. But we have met the great restorer of what's lost. We have given our lives to the great redeemer of what's damaged. And now we get to enjoy eternal, abundant life, starting not just in heaven after we die. Set that idea aside and realize that the life Jesus comes to give is abundant, and it starts now. It starts today in my life and in yours. Life with new meaning. Life that no one can argue with uh, argue, argue you out of because you know how you've changed. This is certainly true for me. No one can convince me that none of this is real because I know how selfish I was, how self-centered. I know how confused or how prideful. I know how clueless and hopeless and pointless my life had become at different moments. I knew who I was, and then I heard that ancient message And I met that powerful, wise, and loving Jesus. And I found clarity and direction and grace and hope. I found abundant life. No one can argue that away from me. In Romans chapter 8, it says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. This is a promise for those of us, any of us, who say yes to Jesus. 
Just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Again, the promise is there that what happened on Easter, that first Easter morning, you might say, what happened then has implications not just on that day, but on every day. And on my every day and yours as well. Not just on our last day. What's the flip side of what we're talking about here? We know it all too well. The flip side of all that amazing grace is condemnation. That voice that says we'll never measure up, that we're not good enough, that we're unlovable. We may be fairly familiar with that voice that says that God doesn't really give that much care to us, doesn't think about us, that we're outside somehow of grace. What's the flip side of that uh, actual power? Well, we know that too well also. It's addiction, it's dependence, it's this idea that we end up leaning on and resting in all the things that don't end up serving us very well in the end. We buy the lies that this world sells us and we devote our, th- our, our energies to things that end up coming up empty. That's not real power. We're kind of under, not over, the situations in our life. And then there's death, that dominion of death, the fear of death, the realization that we live here on earth once. It's always, no matter how long we live here, it feels too short, and we die. What to do with that? But abundant life says, no, that's just the beginning. In Christ, you have a whole eternal life ahead of you. Many of us here have come to believe these things that we're talking about this morning. To believe in Jesus, to believe that he indeed rose from death. We are what's called believers. But it might be more accurate to call us re-believers. Because we've all experienced doubt. Now I want you to hear this this morning. Maybe this is you. Maybe that sounds kind of like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm in that category right there. Because folks, these are huge and pretty mind-bending truths that we've tackled these last few minutes. And on any given day, for any of us, a period can become a question mark. But that's what faith is about, after all, right? We believe and we choose to re-believe. So, if you've believed in the past, or come close to it, and wondered, well, it didn't stick. Maybe it's just not for me. Maybe I'm out. Maybe I had a try and now I lost it. Or maybe because of something you've done or didn't do or something that someone's done to you, believing now doesn't feel like an option. Again, you feel somehow that that's passed you by and now you're out. Let me invite you on this Easter Sunday morning to re-believe and join us re-believers in this journey of faith. We carry around some misguided ideas sometimes about God and those keep us from this faith that we're talking about. And I just want to take a second uh, to uh, promote the next series that we're starting next week. You found a card like this on your, on your seat when you walked in. I'd encourage you to take it home as a reminder of this series, uh, or you can invite someone else to come with you. But this series is called True or False, Common Misconceptions We Carry About God. And we all have them. And I just want to uh, invite you to, if any of these sound intriguing or familiar to you, come back and I'd love to share, uh, we'd love to share some of our thoughts from the scriptures about these false ideas. A few of them uh, go like this. Next week I'll be preaching about the fact that sometimes we believe that all God wants to do is ruin my fun. Anyone ever felt like that? Or God disagrees with all the same people I do. Okay, now I know, I know that some of us might think that sometimes, right? God doesn't care about me and my problems. That can be too easy to fall into believing for any of us. 
I'm a good person, so I don't need God. Or I can't believe in both science and God. Sometimes people might have that perception. Or there's no way a good God exists in a world full of suffering. These are some of the misconceptions that we all may find ourselves at one point or another carrying about God that we're going to tackle in this series. So I hope you'll come back next week and in the next few weeks. Friends, it is the central fact of this ancient faith that we're celebrating today. It encompasses the globe. The cross was necessary and the tomb is empty. Jesus conquered death and unleashed a whole new powerful promise for all who come to him. It's the difference Jesus makes. Amazing grace, actual power, and abundant life. It's what I'm telling us this morning. Amen. These three forces, these realities, they're miracles, really. Let's not underestimate them. They have been unleashed on the world, troubled as it is, and they make a real difference every day in our relationships or in courtrooms during sentencing hearings or in the way that we treat each other and strangers in the world. It makes a difference, these things do. Every mistake I've made, I need redeemed. Every sin I've committed, I need forgiven. Every foolish word I've uttered, I need forgotten. And every wound I've suffered, I need healed. Maybe you do too. This grace, this power, this life, it's what we need. Jesus has provided it. I invite you, if any of this sounds intriguing to you, you'd like to start a conversation about that. You can scan the QR code on the seat back in front of you, and we'd love to start that conversation. If you're online with us right now, there's a host ready to have that conversation with you too. You can uh, hit that button and let us know that you'd like to say yes. And, and frankly, I'd personally invite you. This is my email address. That's my cell phone number. I would be more than happy to get a call or a text or an email from any of you if you're ready to start a conversation about what on earth does it even mean to say yes to this Jesus. Friends, that's what, that's what we exist to do around here. And so I'd invite you to take full advantage of that. Now, before we wrap up this morning, let's continue a 2,000-year-old conversation by taking the bread and the cup. If you didn't have a chance to pick one up, there is a table in the back. Feel free to get up and grab one. That's no problem. But every week, every Sunday here at Outlook, we stop and we take the bread and the cup as Jesus asked us to. It commemorates that Jesus gave his life for us. There's this moment before he goes to the cross in which he's having supper with his disciples. And he takes the bread and he says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's do that together. Back to 1 Corinthians 15 for a moment. There's this uh, moment in which Paul writes in this chapter, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. We celebrate that fact. We know that the, the death we're commemorating ended in a resurrection that we celebrate. And so as we take the cup this morning, let's remember that the blood that was shed out of deep and sincere love for us, out of sacrificial love, that blood that was shed and that life that was lost was only lost for a moment. It was picked up again, just as he said he would do. And he lives today. In the light of that truth, let's take the cup together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth that we've been able to celebrate this morning. Father, the amazing grace 
that you've chosen to cover us with, that you've chosen to, to abundantly give us, generously lay before us. Lord, we thank you for that. We receive that gift. It's all we can do. We don't deserve it. We, didn't, we weren't even smart enough to know how to ask for it. You knew what we needed and you made it possible. So Lord, we receive it. This actual power that comes to us by your Holy Spirit living in us, Lord, we thank you for that. We choose to believe and to re-believe that that power is available to us to set aside and leave behind the things that can tend to just keep us down and count us out. Lord, thanks for your abundant life. Thanks for the life that we get to enjoy, that we get to share, and that we get to experience individually and together and how beautiful and wonderful it really truly is. It's a gift. We receive it. And we thank you for all of it. In Jesus' name, amen.